Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're tuned in to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au slash streaming or on demand and podcasted. Thanks to Encyclopedia for the previous hour. I'd firstly like to start by acknowledging and broadcasting from the lands of Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. These lands were stolen and colonization is ongoing. Sovereignty was never ceded. I'd like to acknowledge the continual resistance of First Nations peoples since invasion and acknowledge any First Nations people tuning in today and pay my respects to elders past, present and future. That was an audio snippet from a native rally in Melbourne on Friday, calling for land rights and an end to genocide of First Nations people. Also at the rally, April spoke to the Justice for Tanya Day campaign, which is calling for the elimination of the crime of public drunkenness. Their campaign comes over the messed up racist death of April's mother, Tanya Day, in December 2017, in police custody, after being arrested for being drunk on a V-line train. Spread the word and sign the petitions. Now we turn to reclaiming the Reclaim Pride recording of today's show. We hear from a range of non-binary people and women panellists at the Reclaiming Pride discussion held by the collective Feminist Insurgency on 17th of May 2019, held on International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism and Transphobia, also known as Ida Hobbit. We hear after this, in order, from Jane Green, sex worker rights activist with Fixin Collective, Miriam Khalil, contemporary artist, Tynine Onis williams writer and organiser for Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, Laura McLean, union organiser and queer anti-fascist. Let's hear from the panel. So starting with Ida Hobbit, um, so we've seen today a whole range of organisations put out things about Ida Hobbit and is this day being used to pinkwash? Um, and by pinkwashing, I guess meaning proximity, using um, rainbow politics to sort of pinkwash over oppressive violence. Does anyone want to pick up any of that? I feel strong about <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I, I think for some organisations it is very meaningful, um, but I think for other organisations, um, and this ties very closely into my views on the corporatization of Pride and Mardi Gras, um, it's a reflex action in participation of something where they have no meaningful um, feelings on the matter at all, uh, but it's part of image management um, and a branding exercise where they have no meaningful um, involvement with the community often. 
um, that they have no meaningful commitment to providing a culture within their own organisation uh, that's safe for LGBTIQA plus people. Um, and I know, um, particularly in reference to police, because I'm the police liaison for my organisation, um, which is a, just a joyous role at times, um, that I've had comments from members of Victoria Police, um, obviously not officially, that they, um, as members of the LGBTIQA plus community, experience significant bullying within MIGPOL. Um, they obviously don't have a commitment um, within their own organisation. Um, and I know some people will be familiar, um, there have been a number of reports come out of Victoria Police in terms of various types of toxic culture, including sexual harassment within VicPol. Um, and if organisations are using it to pinkwash and cover up a culture that's toxic, um, then I think it's an incredibly negative thing that they're being allowed to sanitise their image by participating in these events. Um, and there's no accountability to LGBTIQA plus community um, for their behaviour and for their, their continued behaviour over a long period of time that's toxic both within their organisations and to our community as a whole. Okay, um, I want to start off by saying I have been very privileged um, over my time in Melbourne to not have very many altercations with police, but as a lot of you know, even with their like little statements today and whatever else, in a lot of cases, they tend to single us out, not just the queer people, but particularly the people of colour, particularly Indigenous people. And even though, yes, it is, it is horrible today, but you have to remember that today isn't a day of celebration. Today is also a day of remembering the fact that they would murder us in cold blood for walking on the streets. They would deny us medication. And that is where it was when we weren't legally allowed. Pride wasn't a march to like celebrate who you were. It was basically a protest, a violent protest that always ended in us. And I'm going to talk out of the country that is Australia and talk in general um, in the States and stuff. Our leaders were always women of colour, trans women of colour, queer people of colour. And they were the ones that were most targeted, but they were also the ones that paved the way for us. And the fact that we're in a place where I'm, I'm just going to talk heavily on police we're in a place where police are beating up little kids because they're south sudanese or somalian or basically northeast african refugees and in the same breath being like yay queer culture how is that any different from the fact that a lot of our forefathers, I hate using that word, but a lot of our forefathers that paved the way for us were queer black femmes. So you can't in one breath say, I support queer organizations, and the other breath say, let's beat up little black kids. That's, that's not what's gonna happen. And I, I would like to tie in more um, with what's happening with our indigenous population, of course, but I don't feel that that's my place to speak about. So I'm just going to end it there. 
Um, so previously, I and this is the issue with pinkwashing it. Um, prior is that, for instance, I worked in a like NGO. May start with O. May end with M. Um, and like, it was always a struggle to get black issues to the front. But as soon as like yes vote or pride stuff happened, it was always an organisation like organisation's priority to support. Um, like queers, and I think that what that happens is the erasure of like pop and black people and black queers um, in that. So it's like, oh no, like they've positioned queerness as just being white and being part of white culture, and only white people are gay, and pop and black people aren't gay, and so it just participate it, like in that positioning, it completely erases it erases like. Um, like cutie pop and like our legitimacy to be able to um, sit at the intersections as well and that means it's like not allowed so you can't like I can be gay at my workplace but I can't be black and if that's and I guess that is the issue with pinkwashing um, and through these corporations and and completely, uh, that creates erasure for us. Um, and I think that, you know, so like even historically, people thinking like Aboriginal people can't be gay and like, because of part of culture or whatever, but black people are so gay. Like, <laughs> in my family, I was like counting, I was like, there's like 25 of us, none of us are gay. And I was like tweeting about it yesterday, I was like, we could have a gay caucus because <laughs> there's so many gays. And so, like, the way that um, these organisations position um, queerness is completely different to the reality. And that that is just, like, really frustrating when you can't be, like, black and gay at the same time. You can only be one or the other. Cool. Um, just um, building off of that as well, I think... My main issue with these organisations and corporations um, participating or using Ida Hobbit um, as a sort of marketing strategy, um, I feel it takes away a lot of the power um, that our queer history has and it takes away, um, I think its purpose is to de-radicalise people and future generations of queer people who could become really great queer activists. Um, certain corporations, I know like ANZ and NAB, for example, because I've experienced with those <laughs> places have these pride committees and their pride committees, um, well, at ANZ at least, the chair of the pride committee is a cishet woman and she's the head of strategic marketing. Now, when you actually go to one of their exhibits and they talk about their history of activism at ANZ, it's literally just Mardi Gras floats. <laughs> they have no intention of actually building power or forcing real meaningful change. Um, they could have implemented transition leave at ANZ, you know, probably they could have um, made it easier for their customers to have their gender markers changed, but they choose not to, because this isn't actually about queer people for them, it's about money and it's about marketing. The fact that we let them use Ida Hobbit um, as a marketing strategy is, I find quite upsetting because it really, it's tokenism and like I said, it's de-radicalisation um, of their workers as well, but 
of the broader community, it turns it into like, oh yes, look, we did a thing, like we had a rainbow on this day and that's great, we made a statement, wonderful, but what does that actually achieve? It achieves nothing because it's not designed to. So I don't think they should be allowed to participate in it, personally. Um, I think we're all rich in you. <laughs> <laughs> I just guess I just wanted to say is that like, in terms of radicalization and like organizing invasion day, like if like white queers and like white movements did more to center Aboriginal sovereignty within their movements, then like like also those things wouldn't happen because we wouldn't like let it. And you know, you're never gonna see an ANZ float at fucking invasion day. You know what I mean? Like it's never gonna happen because like it's going against everything that like Aboriginal people believe in and I think that like movements and white queers need to do more and pop queer sellers need to do more to centralise Aboriginal sovereignty within movements so make sure that like we are building like we're building this up and like not like letting corporations take hold of what our movements look like and like it's, and it's really fucking hard because obviously, like, you've got change the date now. My corporations <laughs> love that shit. And, but, like, I guess, like, in that, we're, like, really fucking, like, we are shutting down, I guess, we're shutting down the idea of change the date. And it's really, like, working in terms of, like, amping up a bullish Australia Day. So, yeah. I was um, like at least going. I'm gonna like segue into what I'm saying from this. Just saying, ANZ stands for Australia and New Zealand. So like, let's be real. Commonwealth Bank. Yeah. Bank. It, it's like all rooted in colonialism. They're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna give a second thought to any indigenous rights anytime soon. Unfortunately, um, what I wanted to say was a lot of these companies originally were very anti-queer beforehand they were the ones voting and they were the ones raising propaganda against queerness and against pride before we got the right to be basically accepted to come out into the sun so for them to now ironically be supporting us in a way where they can like i guess i learned this word recently like the youth use it have clout is that, is that the right way to use it? I'm not sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, in a way where they can have clout or whatever um, is kind of disgusting, being as if you look at the historical records, if you look at various articles, so many of these banks and corporations and our good old maids, the police, particularly, who were literally beating us up, um, they were all. Like protesting against us for us getting the right to be who we are as queer people. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, whenever anyone mentions the ANZ, I just have to jump in and point out that, that many, not just the ANZ, but many of the major trading banks still have policies that are explicitly anti queer um, because they have policies that are explicitly anti sex work. Um, and the, it's a massive intersection between sex workers and the queer community and studies in Australia show that it's between 60 and 70% of sex workers identify as LGBTIQIA+. Um, and the major trading banks have morals policies that explicitly say that they won't provide lending or merchant services um, to the sex industry. 
um, majority of them do. Um, can say Commonwealth Bank is one that doesn't, and the Commonwealth for not having morals, and many <laughs> other problems. Um, but they, they have policies that sort of explicitly discriminate against us. Um, I think is something that should be recognised and often isn't. Yes, thanks for all those wonderful um, contributions. So I think I'll move things to talk a little bit about Midsummer. So Midsummer is the corporation that runs Pride March in Melbourne in is it February? Um, and Midsummer's run by John Caldwell, who's the boss of a, of a global re recruitment corporation. Um, and <coughs> And many of the people on the Midsummer board are also in that sort of high-level corporate and government world. Um, what does this say about the relationship between Midsummer and the pink dollar? That's one question. And my second is how, how to engage with like Midsummer. Do you see it as something to engage with, something to build alternatives with, something to prioritise? Um, the struggles you're already prioritizing, and or yeah, and just one example of something happening in New York. There's um, people like have started an alternative called the Queer Liberation March, and they have no cops and no corporate floats. Anyone to pick up first? I don't want to start every conversation. So. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I'm um, going to start by saying the fact that um, these white corporations did um, like organize Midsummer. I'm going to say organize Midsummer because they're maybe first tier, but the ones that organized Midsummer were the second tier, which are like young, anxious, enthusiastic white queers who just want to do their part and are very, mostly very lacking on their own privilege and what it means to be queer in a different way, I guess. Um, so they're the ones that organized a lot of the events. And I was going to speak particularly about one event that actually me and Iris went and like sat and protest outside and it was an event by a company called Baba. Um, an organization called Barbar that run a club night and I'm going to start by saying they're not white they are from Colombia however they are white cis straight men yes they're from Colombia but they came through like they, they came through with the Spanish, yeah, thank you. Um, so no, they are considered white, and um, we'll touch a little bit on that. A lot of places in North and um, South America that were colonized by the Spanish actually have a lot of white people who are Latinx. So not every single Latinx person is a person of color, um, and these people weren't. Um, but I will say they were migrants to Australia. Um, so the queer scene there is, I guess, a little bit less work. <laughs> I hate that word. But um, yeah, so what happened with them was they decided to start a club night in a cop shop and call it Jizz. And basically 
sexualize the concept of the police. And I really, like, I personally have a lot of problems with white queers wearing, like, dog collars and chains already because a big part of, and I think you would agree with that, of my culture is rooted on slavery. I have uncles and aunties that have ended up in Western countries because they came as slaves. And to me, and I understand, like, I understand that um, it's like a kink and stuff, but I also need people to know that these type of things are rooted in black slavery, in black imprisonment, and black torture. The fact that they encouraged that particular look and inside a place where it was once used to torture, rape, and murder indigenous people and people of color who have just come here fleeing war, um, as well as queer people in the 70s and 80s. And forgetting about the fact that even now, queer people make up the majority of, well, they were, they were straight gay men. And gay men make up the majority of basically sexual assault in prison with 70%, um, a lot of them being people of color. Um, like, it was, it was very wrong and there was a lot wrong about it. And the fact that it was considered Midsummer's after party without anyone checking really felt exclusionary to a lot of a lot of people. Um, but that wasn't even the only thing. Like they had a turf as a keynote speaker. Cops were everywhere, just like celebrating pride. And they never really touched on any health issues or any indigenous issues. It was very whitewashed, very pinkwashed. Um, all the different organizations that sponsored it, back to the previous questions, clout, clout, clout. Um, Iris, do you want to say more about that night? No? Cool. Um, I have opinions on Midsummer also. Um, so um, I guess going back to like Midsummer's like, a, good bit of fun and I get that um, but it really lacks politics again it's um, de-radicalization of the queer movement it um, is exclusionary um, to most people of color and um, and um, us as indigenous folks um, yeah but like it's so lacking in politics that they had like a stall at the what's that day called that like the one in the park I don't know they have like park day what Carnival, that's the one. Like a park day, they had like an uh, uh, um, a liberal stall, like with the liberals and being like, we were the party that brought marriage equality to Australia. And it's like, really? <laughs> and it's because their corporate sponsors are NAB. Again, they have a pride network. They have an opportunity to create real and meaningful change for their workers within their organisation and for the broader queer community but they choose not to again because it really is all about that pink dollar. Like when we allow, like I think Midsummer is a great concept and I think we should have something like that. I think we should have pride. But when we allow corporations into pride we end up with shit like the fucking <laughs> LNP having a stall there claiming that they did this, we end up with um, events being held on Invasion Day. Like, you know, we that's that's what we end up with when we allow corporations and um, institutions like the police force um, into Pride and to have a say on it. I think that Pride is really important and I think we should have a celebration. I think that's great. I just think the way that we do it needs 
to go back to what it was, because it was inherently political, it was a form of resistance um, for um, uh, queer people of colour and trans people of colour, it still is resistance and we are still resisting. Um, our existence is resistance, but um, the, the corporatization of Pride and uh, Midsummer and uh, Mardi Gras has really taken it away from that and it's really just turned into a big corporate billboard, which is quite sickening in my opinion, who wants to say things. I just can't believe that we're going to sell those March. <laughs> I, I had a conversation with, um, with one of them and some other people one year um, because they, they haven't lit the Salvos March. I actually looked on the website and apparently they didn't march last year or maybe I wasn't looking close enough, but they certainly marched in 2018 um, because I, I brought it up with them and they said they didn't see it as a problem. I said, well, in 2015 they were on joy and they said that we should all burn in hell um, because their doctrine said so and they actively advocate that um, sex workers should all be criminalised and there's a lot of us that are queer um, and they harass us in our workplaces every week and do you do some sort of due diligence when people apply as corporations and organisations that you check that they're not homophobic and they just sort of stared at me and I'm like because I, I wouldn't have had to look them up or anything I'd go bloody hell it's a salvo I <laughs> <laughs> think we should all burn in hell <laughs> maybe that's not a good idea um, yeah and the, and the guy just sort of looked at me and yeah so I I just I don't understand that there's the, a lack of an accountability not just for the corporations and the sponsors, but with Midsummer itself, um, and I think it's it shouldn't be that members of community have to go to Midsummer and say, "Bloody hell, what's going on?" They should have some internal mechanism where they go, "Bloody hell, what are we doing?" I've never been to Midsummer, so, <laughs> to be honest, because after Invasion Day, and I'm just like. I'm fucked, like I'm so tired. <laughs> or it's before Invasion Day, so I'm just like, I'm good. <laughs> I, did they have a boat party on Invasion Day this year? Did I hear that? They had that? They, wow. They're such cookers. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, the only time I went to Midsummer was that after party so I can protest it. <laughs> so, like, but I know a few people of colour who do, do work as part of Midsummer. There's a beautiful event that I'm not sure if many of you know about. It's called Coco Butter Club, and it's all yeah. it's all cutie. It's all cutie pocket. It's great, and it kind of pissed me off that this year they were part of Midsummer. But also Danny, who runs it, and Krishna, they're beautiful people, and I had huge talks with them about what happened, like the issue that, that I was personally involved in this summer afterwards, and they apologized and we talked it out, and they're. They're really fantastic, but also they kind of feel that guilt and shame of having to associate with those people. But sadly for us, that's the only way for us to actually get a voice out there is to play the game, which is really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair to the, the Pride guy, because um, I should try to be fair, he did say we had a longer conversation about it, uh, but I did sort of have dealing with the salvos and, and Midsummer at the same time for tea by that point. Um, and also, I mean, I, because I spent 10, 12 years in Sydney, 
Um, I did Mardi Gras a bunch of times, and, and I was there in 2012 when they tried to throw sex workers out of, out of Mardi Gras. Um, and so I've got Mardi Gras fatigue as well, with pride fatigue on top. So at this point, yeah, I'm a bit over it. <laughs> um, thank you again. So next area I'm going to talk to is um, sort of like um, sort of struggles that aren't maybe Pride March exactly, but because of institutions like police and military with the Mardi Gras being and corrections in um, being included in a lot of Pride Marches. Um, I'm wondering if anyone on the panel could speak to um, decolonization in queer circles and struggles for prison abolition. So I've have been having a few feelings about like prison abolition and especially like white queers in the prison abolitionist space because I feel like it's kind of like becoming like quite quickly the like people have jumped from white feminism and are now jumping to like prison abolition as a thing. So like, oh, feminism's ruined, so now I'm gonna jump over to prison abolition. And then I think it's just like one thing that's been quite frustrating is seeing that like people are just thinking, oh, it's all about capitalism, but it's like, oh, no, it's actually about colonialism. And if we're not, and if, I mean, I'm gonna like bang on about it all the time, but if like, like if we aren't going to get rid of settler colonialism, then we cannot have abolition and abolition of prisons. And that means that we can't get rid of racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, etc. And I think that like these movements are like I guess I mean the movements here have always been happening and I think in particular there's been like white people thinking that they have brought abolition to Australia when you have like Wurundjeri people burning down prisons in like 18, in the 1800s, you know? And I think that we are raised so much in the abolition movement and um, it's just really frustrating that people think that it's like a new thing as well. Like it's not a new thing for us and like, Aboriginal people are inherently abolitionist uh, because, like, we didn't have prisons here pre-colonisation. Like, we didn't have corporations pre-colonisation. Like, all of the things that are existing and, like, whether that be racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, um, like, that just was not, like, a thing here. and. I think that so often we move outside of like looking at Aboriginal people to, for um, for guidance here, and like, and that it further participates in the erasure of us. And like, it's just I don't know. I guess it's just one thing that's really been like grinding my gear um, because of that. And yeah, I guess. It's just, 
like people just need to keep doing like more work and not depending on the state. And it's also like not concentrating on prisons and decentralising the prison and concentrating on building communities and getting to know our neighbours so they won't call the police on us. Um, getting to know like people on our street, local cafes, like these are things that like can decentralise the state by getting to know people. Like it's really like it sounds like such a silly thing, but honestly, we used to throw house parties all the time at our at the house in Fitzroy, and the only reason why the police never got called was because the neighbours knew us, and that meant that like no black people were getting arrested, no queers and trans folk were getting arrested because it completely decentralised the state and put our like responsibility back into community to look after each other. And I think that that's one thing is that we like need to continue to do is just not centralise the prison in abolition spaces. It's about decentralising it. You're listening to 3CR, Melbourne's activist station. I don't know where I can add to that. That was perfectly summed up. And <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, I think speaking more about decolonization, I feel like I can't really do that. I I'm like I came to like I came to this country from New Zealand where my family had come as refugees. So it's like I'm doing my part as much as possible because I understand colonization within my like within the motherland, within Africa. But even within then, I think it won't happen until sovereignty is at least ceded. Like until there is some kind of acknowledgement that this isn't their land, until a lot of bullshit stops being common knowledge or taught in schools. Within the queer community, a lot of us tend to, I guess, ignore these issues and focus more on other issues that aren't centred towards, like, indigenous queerness and pop queerness. Um, in light of talking about, like, the prison oh god, I forgot the word. Yeah, prism abolition. Um, sorry, I'm really bad with words. Like they always, the other day I forgot my best friend's name, it was horrible. Um, but yeah, um, talking about that, I just wanna say, yes, a lot of white people, particularly white queers are jumping on it, but you also have to remember that, sure, you might be fighting for those, but you're also fighting for primarily POC, primarily, Aboriginal people, um, if we're going to add refugees into that, I came as a refugee. You don't see a white refugee from Canada there. <laughs> you see people like me, you see black people, you see Arabs. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't see someone from France. I mean, maybe Algeria, maybe somewhere that was colonized by France, but <laughs> never from a white place. So remember that and kind of stay in your own lane, I gotta say. So help, but don't take control because it's not your story. It's it's ours. I don't really have much to add. <laughs> um, but I'd just like to agree, you know, 100% strong communities make police obsolete. Um, we've seen this numerous times across many cultures and many countries. Um, 
And yeah, um, touching um, back on, um, I think like capitalism relies on colonialism, like they're sort of like intertwined, one and the same, but different. Um, I think um, when we talk about um, prison abolition, I think it's really important that we grow that movement and we make that movement wider, but I think it's really important that we do um, center Aboriginal voices um, first and foremost, at least on this continent, um, when talking about it, um, and understanding the relationship between capitalism and colonialism, because um, if we can abolish the prison systems and, and we can, um, you know, in an ideal love, overthrow the capitalist state, um, you know, colonialism is sort of like understanding it and fighting against it and resisting it is the first step towards that, um, which I think is really important. But yeah, like, um, strong communities absolutely make police obsolete. Um, it always has been that way. So I think we need to start small and start engaging with our neighbours, our local communities, um, and centering uh, people of colour and Aboriginal people's um, voices in those communities. Yeah, I was really disagreeing with what you said. Yeah, thank you for all those comments. And my next question goes to what sort of organising or work, and this sort of picks up with a lot of things that have been mentioned already, what organising work, organising slash work you're doing, not, doesn't, doesn't have to be around pride in terms of these pride marches or anything like that. Um, that is important in building a collective, collective pride for the communities you're a part of. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll actually talk about organising around Pride because um, every year about November, start of December, I get the same feeling, which is, oh God, no. Um, because we actually do a community consultation every year about whether or not we should be involved in Pride. Um, and that's a really important process for us because I think it is something that we need to assess collectively as to whether or not we have continued participation. Um, and we have a really strong and robust debate within community each year and weigh pros and cons. Um, and it's very close, the decision, um, the last two or three years has been very close. Um, and I think that's important that it goes to community to make that decision. I wouldn't feel comfortable trying to make that decision or within Vixen's committee trying to make that decision on behalf of the community. I think it has to go to community to have that discussion. Um, I think the, uh, the pros, um, I mean, in terms of interacting with other organisations, um, there are people in that space that we do want to interact with, um, and it is nice to be in that space sometimes. There are organisations that we absolutely don't want to interact with. Um, so those, for example. <laughs> um, I certainly know the last time we marched in Pride, um, that we weren't as thrilled to see the Victorian Greens um, as we might have been. Um, actually, no, we haven't been pleased to see the Victorian Greens for many years. Um, so I think everyone knows why. Um, so, but I mean, look, it can also be a space to challenge organisations that are problematic. Um, but also it's a lot of work for an organisation um, that's unfunded and that's in their lines unfunded. So there's a lot of things that we have to weigh up and we have to weigh those things up as a community together. 
Um, but it's also something that takes time away from our other work, which is really important too. So it's a difficult decision for us, and it's a decision we have to make together every year. Cool. Um, I haven't really done any organising work within official prize <laughs> um, stuff, but I am a workplace organiser, so... <laughs> um, yeah, um, I guess one of the things at the moment that I find really important um, is sort of um, re-radicalising pride amongst my generation and generations younger than mine. Um, I One of the workplaces that I organise is um, one of the NAB head offices. I used to work there. Um, they have a pride network um, which has pretty much stopped doing anything after the marriage equality campaign. Um, however, there are a bunch of, um, of members of that network who are mostly trans people of colour um, who are involved in that, who feel really disheartened because there is so much more work that needs doing and they don't quite understand how or what it is that needs doing. Um, and I think it's really important that we make sure that we have um, inclusive avenues and stuff um, as activists, um, because a lot of the time activism can be, um, trying to get into activist networks and stuff can be quite intimidating. There's a lot of like, um, like classism around it. There's a lot of like big words and shit that, you know, I don't really understand. And, you know, when I first started trying to get involved in activism and stuff, I, yeah, it just felt very exclusionary. Um, so I think it's like really important that um, we make ourselves as activists accessible to the broader community and that we start organizing, um, reorganizing our groups and re-radicalizing our communities, um, re-radicalizing queer finance workers, especially queer finance uh, workers who are people of color um, who have felt really let down by their organization because, you know, they've just stopped giving a shit because marriage equality's won. It's no longer marketable for NAB to address issues affecting trans people, issues affecting queer people of colour. It's not marketable, it's not profitable for them to do that. Um, so I've started creating new um, networks and re-radicalising them and then tying it in as well with the um, anti-fascist um, organising work that I do because I think that is really important. There is a growing fascist movement in this country um, that movement that comes after queer people, it comes after people of colour predominantly, um, first and foremost. And I think a lot of my generation of um, queer people and the younger generation don't quite understand that. I don't think they understand the threat of that, but I also don't think that they understand that they have real legitimate power when they work together. But it's about making all of that accessible and in language and stuff that people don't feel intimidated to start partaking in. Am I making sense? I am recovering from a cold, so <laughs> my head's a bit fuzzy. But yeah, that's some of the things that I'm doing. But I think when we talk about organising work and we talk about activism, I think it's really important that we make activism accessible for everyone. Because at the moment, I don't feel like it quite is yet. Um, can I just say something about that real quickly? Yeah. Um, when you speak about activism, a lot of the time people of colour can't get involved because a lot of the time police get involved and a lot of the time we're the ones that get harassed. Yeah. Um, so I don't think activism can ever be truly, a, a, like, what's the word that you just said? Accessible. Accessible to everyone. Um, I just don't think that. And you, you can work hard and you can get to a place, but 
sadly, the hard truth is that's impossible. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like. Oh, sorry. I was just going to jump, jump in on the same point. Yeah. yeah, look, we struggle with some issues around that with sex work too, because um, sex workers for people of colour, particularly migrant sex workers, um, and sex workers working in criminalised environments, so street based workers here in Victoria. It's a real struggle, um, and the people most at risk, um, particularly for um, speaking out and activism, um, for attending any protests or events, um, it's it's a real issue, um, and they're often the people whose voices most need to be heard. Um, so it's a constant tension that the people who most need to be heard from are the most at risk, and we can't ask them to put themselves at risk. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, and I think it, the one thing you can't do is claim that you can make spaces safe for people because I think you're putting them in danger if you claim that. So I think we have to be brutally honest um, with people about what we can do and what we can't. Yeah, I think like, one thing I guess for Mob is that we just don't have like the time. Like we are just like so busy like many other people just like trying to survive and there's just like there's so many mob that do activism in different ways and resistance in different ways and like i think that like i think it's also about like looking at activism like it's not just about like doing things in the public and protesting like that's not the only way of activism and like activism can be like Park of black people learning their language, like that is an act of resistance because of the, the colonizer um, is trying to assimilate us. And so I think that like what we view as activism is also flawed. So I think it's like also like like it's real. Like not everybody can do like protesting or campaigning or whatever. But also like there's different ways to resist, and like I think that that should also be taken into account. Um, there was, but you were saying something and I was just like thinking about it. And I was like, that was really good. I'm trying to get it. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that you were honest that you're also recovering because I was sleeping on my desk, under my desk before this. I'm really tired. I was, I was like sleeping all day before <laughs> I came here. I was in China. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Um, Can I jump okay. in on something you said? Yeah. yeah, you said something that's really critically relevant um, to the sex community as well. Um, activism is a whole bunch of different things. Um, we often say the most important um, work that we do is the women have overseas. Um, the peer support that workers provide each other um, in their workplaces and in private spaces, um, the, particularly for workers in criminalised settings um, and for the workers that are most marginalised, um, the all of the stuff we do that people never see, um, it's not the stuff in public. Um, and I often feel that as someone that does do a lot of public activism, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is the least important stuff, but it's the most highly recognises, recognised stuff. Um, but it's fluff. Um, the critical stuff is the, the workers that I work with who are there when someone calls them at two in the morning because they're in crisis. Yeah. Um, and they're the person who picks up the phone. Um, they're the people that turn up and go to the cops with someone when they're being interviewed as a witness or being charged. Um, it's that stuff. That's the stuff that keeps people alive and makes a difference. And people often never hear about it and never see it. Um, and that's activism. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. That was 
right? That's so true. And like, it just happens all the time for mob. It's just like, you're just so busy, like trying to, like it's actually so real because you're actually trying, busy trying to literally save people's lives. Um, whether they be using drugs or like, um, whether they're like, like in using drugs in like a way that's like misuse, I guess. Um, and then there's like also people who like whose mental health like looking after your community is so hard and that is like definitely all the things that happen in the background that like I'm not doing in the public like it's all the time like it's just constant but I guess as well like talking about work as well I was thinking my point earlier was that like I have I haven't done anything like in terms of pride but like all of the war members here in Melbourne are queer, and so I think that, um, like, literally every single one of them. Um, and I think that, like, with, like, the, like these movements, it's just, and, like, I guess with what war is doing, is that it's, like, always queer inherently because we're doing the work. Um, so I think that, like, Although I'm not out there, don't, I've never actually been to Pride, I've never been to Midsummer. I know, bad gay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, huh? Are you a bad gay or are you I a good know. gay? <laughs> <laughs> are you the gold star, comrade? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, yeah, forever I'm like, oh, even when I got asked to do the panel, I was like, I don't know, I've never been to Pride. <laughs> best place to do this. But I guess, like, in doing the work, we are apparently doing gay work because all of us are gay doing Aboriginal movements and, like, lots of the people who we're organising with, lots of the people who we have speaking at our rallies and that we include and, like, do work with are all queer black people. And, like, that is, like, completely different in terms of, like, one of the people who I really looked up to. Um, Crystal McKinnon, she was like, oh, um, like, there wasn't that many queer black people now, but I'm like, all the black people that I'm friends with are all gay. And I'm just like, how did you do move? Like, how, like, it's just a com completely different. Um, and it, I guess that's like one thing that I love is like, do not just like being friends with, but working alongside with um, black queers. And like, that is definitely one of the things that brings me the most joy is like, like that we can do that together. Yeah, I was just going to um, speak further on that and just say that I haven't actually been to Pride either, but I've done a lot of research on Pride, and a lot of Pride history is based on POC and Indigenous queerness and our rights. So doing that in general is queer work. It, it, it is. All these, like, Indigenous culture is... And I'm, I'm saying this broadly because I'm not indigenous to this country. It's not rooted in homophobia, transphobia, intersexuality phobia. I'm intersex, I don't even know what that's called. <laughs> Basically everyone, that's what it's called. Um, it's not rooted in that. It's, it's rooted in love and peace and acceptance. And a lot of my indigenous friends are queer, like you were saying before. It's uh, going back into decolonization. I feel like that is a huge form of pride. That is one of the biggest because so much of this has come, like, 
has come through because of colonization, because of white people, basically. White people's are, people are the ones that bought homophobia, they bought transphobia. Look at, look, like, people of color like us, so many of us have so many different cultures that, like, that, like, revel in concepts of queerness and concepts of transness and concepts of intersexuality. Like, in some cultures, I'm considered some kind of god and deity because of the fact that I'm intersex. Um, but you know what all of those don't have in common? None of them are white. <laughs> because that's what queerness, like, that's what is oppressive to queerness. That's what's oppressive to, like, pride. And I know it might sound harsh, but that's what it is. It's the white colonizers. It's the Dutch. It's, it's the Spanish. It's white supremacy. Destroy white supremacy. I saw someone up there with one of those shirts. It's exactly what it is. So as a person of color, doing what I can to survive here, re like talking to you right now or like talking to others, even if it's just someone on the tram, I feel like that's just, even though I might not be taken seriously a lot of the time, just being able to talk about it and educate people no matter where I am in the world, that is something that I consider a big part of pride, just for myself. Um, speaking like within hidden prides, like a lot of what I do is based on the fact that I can speak multiple languages and I speak Arabic, so I go to refugee centres and I speak to family there, or not my family, but I consider everyone who is POC to be my family. <laughs> um, I speak to family there, um, I speak I, I speak to like people in the streets and I'm able to do that in multiple languages and that helps get rid of some of the deep-rooted stereotypes and ideals of like the stigma behind queerness, behind transness because when you see someone who speaks your language, someone who grew up in your culture and they're talking about all these things that you're taught was bad through white colonialism, mind you, then you begin to understand it through a different light. Yeah, thanks for all that. All, um, touching on so many important things from Collective CAD to all the amazing, amazing work by Warriors of Open Resistance and combating white supremacy. So I'm going to go to a, a last um, point of view to speakers to talk to before we go to everyone listening. Um, this is a talking point around imagining imagine the future. What future do you want for Pride? Question mark. What solidarity do you want to see? And if these sort of big questions are too hard, you can speak to a, a reform that, um, that would be really important that you, you see is really important on the way to changing bigger systems. <laughs> a future for pride. Um, well, it shouldn't be a party, it shouldn't be a celebration, it should still be a protest. Um, and if they're organising it, they should get the most marginalised members of the community to get it up. We should decide what the key issues are we want to address, and we should be marching at the front, highlighting those issues. Um, I'd be very tempted to ban corporate sponsors unless there was some sort of massive accountability program 
where they actually had to behave themselves. No, it's just like, Well, we can find them. <laughs> I don't know. No, it wouldn't be good enough. Like, because someone would pay the fines just so they can still have their name on the thing. No, they have to be banned. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they'd have to be do due diligence so that, like, you couldn't have any rat bag organisations marching with you. Um, it might be a small protest. <laughs> but it would be excellent. Um, mostly what Jean said, because <laughs> that all sounds great. Um, but yeah, definitely bringing back to a protest and um, centering the voices of um, Aboriginal people in that and people of colour. Um, so that's the most important. Solidarity, I'd like to see. Is that one of the questions? Yeah, what's solidarity, I would like to see um, in achieving this. I'd like to see um, more participation from the trade union movement. Um, I hear rumours that the We Are Union Pride um, <laughs> network at Victorian Trades Hall Council may not be receiving um, funding, so that may be dis disbanded. Um, which I heard recently, which I find very disheartening because um, it is really important work, um, you know, in engaging um, the union movement in queer politics and um, vice versa is very important and engaging um, young queer people in unionism is very important. There's this misconception that unionism is somewhat inherently um, anti-queer um, or whatever when, um, I mean, yeah, there are some, like, shit assholes in there, but like inherently the concept of unionism is not. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, I'd like to see uh, a bit more work put in from the broader trade union movement um, into helping achieve this utopia future pride that we want. Um, what you said, but also like, even like one thing that was really interesting about following you, actually them showing real solidarity just like so that people can just change their names and like gender on their like at the bank like that costs them money <laughs> to do to change their system to do that they don't want to do that. <laughs> we're talking about future, right? Oh yeah, future, yes. yes. <laughs> um, and I think that, like, also just like being more inclusive that like pop queers exist, and we don't just like it's not just about whiteness because we get buried so much in it, and like pop and black queers are excluded from communities because of their hotness and their blackness and so like really standing together and like highlighting that like when people wanted to put the black and the brown strip on the flag like what was that fucking shit show <laughs> like like it shouldn't be because we exist um at, like in that community and the whole reason was so that like we could be seen so i think that seeing more of that pride seeing less corporations Let's make it, let's make it smaller. Fuck them, you know. Smaller is like funner anyway. Exactly, it's quality over quantity. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's definitely yeah, definitely what I want to see. And also no fucking cops. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like, no cops. Like, let's just pick a different day every year and not tell the cops. <laughs> I mean, it is a protest after all. Yeah, exactly. Go back to old school protests where you don't have to like organize it weeks in advance and make sure that. The like 50 billion cops would like 
horses there to like beat you up for no reason. Never happened to me, I'm very lucky. But it has happened. And never to a white person. Oh, I don't, I don't know, but the ones I've been to never to a white person. Um, I just want to add that indigenous, black, people of color, we're not the minority in this, you are. So we should be able to take up as much space as we want in these spaces. Like I said, white people make up maybe 30% of the world and yes, you may have colonized a bunch of places, but honestly, queerness came way before you and you're the ones that tried to get rid of it and stamp on it. So we're the majority, not you. And you have to remember that. You have to remember that. You have to remember, oh, I hate saying this, but you have to remember your place, stay in your own lane, give us leeway and be there to protect us when the cops eventually show up. Because they will. Um, we, I want my voice to be heard. I want others like me to be heard. I want people who are a lot less privileged than I am to be heard. And I want us to remember here how much privilege we already live in. Um, and yeah, remember that when you speak with your voice, there are a thousand voices in other parts of the world that can't be heard. And you're speaking for them as well, but you also need to do actions. Screaming in a, in, a, in, a, in a pride protest isn't the same as actively going and speaking to these people or the behind the scenes work. There needs to be more of that. You don't need to be physically present, but you can do what you can behind the scenes. That's the end of our program. You can get in contact with us on our Facebook or Twitter by typing in Querying the Air and also at our Gmail, queryingtheair at gmail.com. Stay tuned for Hip Sister Hop. And stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio. This is the same old colonial story and project. And to me, it just is more clearer that decolonisation and resistance are the remedy to colonisation. Because I'm free. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.